0: congregation of Jesus Christ would you like to have a particular title by your name? Maybe the title doctor Dr. Van Dyke that sounds pretty good hey? my uncle John Van Dyke is a doctor he's a doctor of theology and so yeah sometimes people refer to him as Dr. Van Dyke just a medical doctor a title that people have. You also get the title of a royalty. Princes and your royal highness, these titles. Or maybe a military title. A general or an admiral. On Barb's side we have Scott. Eh? Scott is right up there in the Canadian Navy. He's not an admiral yet. But he's worked his way up, and he's in Ottawa. and He's a commander of some kind. Or you get the political titles, the prime minister, or president, or premier, or mayor, or senator. And that's always the right honor, the right honorable. And there they have their title. Or in business, the chief executive officer, the CEO, You can put that in front of your name. Or the Governor of the Bank of Canada. That sounds good, too. So you get these these official titles. People like titles. They even make up uh, titles for themselves to feel a little better. Years ago, it was the Department of Sanitation Engineer was the garbage collector, right? And then the domestic engineer is the home care, dear wife at home, domestic engineer. The sense of a title, how do you actually get a title? Normally what you do, you need to have a specific skill or experience or training. And so that education, that training, that set of circumstances qualifies you for the title. A medical doctor, takes many years of training, internships and examinations, a doctor of theology as well. In the military, it takes a lot of time too. You work your way up. There's a lot of training and you earn the different titles. In politics too, there's a, a lot of work affirming gifts, all the connections that you have to make. In business too, training, experience, running a company, running big business, working your way up to corporate ladder. What about the title Christian? Do we earn that title, that standing? And so, at a certain point, that that we we can say we are Christian. We have earned it. We know enough. We've done enough. We are we are now Christians. The title Christian is. Not earned by us. It's a very different thing. It's a great honor, it's a great privilege, but it's not earned by us. It's given to us by Christ who earns it. And he gives it to us when we put our faith in him, though we don't really deserve it at all. And so it's a great privilege. So this afternoon, the sense of the great Privilege of being able to call ourselves Christians. To look again at what it means that Jesus the Christ, He gives us the title of Christians as we seek to follow Him. That sense of, of Christ and of Christians in the Old Testament, Christ is the word Messiah, it means to be anointed. And it, it has two senses. It means to be set apart by God for a special service and then empowered by the Holy Spirit in that service. So it's, it's very much a gift. It's very much God-given. You have Saul as king. When he is anointed king, he is, he is hiding in the baggage. He is feeling totally unworthy. And yet he is called to be king, given that title and that sense of being anointed and then filled with the Spirit and doing the work that God has called him to do. Priests were also anointed. They were anointed, set apart for their special work in the temple, praying for and purifying the people. And prophets were also anointed. Elijah anoints Elisha, 1 Kings 19. And he along with the other prophets filled with the Spirit to do the work that God has called them to. So in the Old Testament, there's that sense of of being anointed, God working among his people in this way, special people being selected for specific tasks. Prophets were the voice of God, priests were, so to speak, the hands of God, and kings were the authority of God. And all this anointing in the Old Testament had the sense of pointing ahead the idea of the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, who would be the ultimate prophetic voice, the finest priestly presence, and the all-powerful King. So there was a, a, a sense of God working through these various uh, representatives and that in the end, there was the hope of the messiah the christ someone who would come to fully bring those offices those areas forward so the new testament church confesses that jesus is the promised christ and so that's that's the confession in heidelberg catechism uh, lords day 12 that that Jesus is that anointed one and that it it adds there that he is the chief prophet, the only high priest, and the eternal king. He, he fulfills all three of those areas, those special areas that God calls people to serve in. So he is that great prophet, the priest, and the king. So looking at those, Jesus as the chief prophet... We see that very much in that he speaks the word of God. Moses in the Old Testament was regarded as the great prophet of the people, speaking God's word to them. Elijah was also a great prophet of God, bringing that word to the people, calling them to obedience. Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, is greeted by two people. He is greeted by Moses and Elijah. And that picture on the Mount of Transfiguration is Jesus, the great prophet, and God speaks from heaven, and in the context of Moses, who spoke the word of God, Elijah, who spoke that word, God says to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in the presence of Moses and Elijah, this is my son, Listen to him. His is the prophetic voice. His is the true word that we need to listen to. And so Jesus fulfills that prophetic office. And all speaking in relation to God's will and word needs to come through the Lord Jesus. He is also our great high priest. The priest would offer the sacrifices for the people. They would take a lamb. In order to sacrifice it to take away the sins of the people. And the priest would do that work. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes a lamb himself, the perfect Lamb of God. He offers himself on the cross, on the Mount of Golgotha, for our sins. Hebrews 7 explains how this sacrifice is still effective today. Forgiving our sins when we repent and confess and call on the name of Jesus. The crucified and risen Lord. So that's, that's his priestly office. Fully, fully fulfilled. And finally Jesus is the almighty king. And that's why we call him Lord. He is the son of David, the king. He establishes his kingdom, as he talks about in his parables, speaking often, the kingdom of heaven is like, The kingdom of God is with you. The kingdom of God is coming. And so that reality that he is the king, bringing in the kingdom, fighting against principalities and powers of darkness, confronting them on the cross, triumphing over them in his resurrection, and as king he ascends, And is seated at the right hand of God. And right now he is reigning over all things. Until he comes again in glory. So we see Jesus as the fulfillment. Of that Old Testament practice of anointing. Prophets, priests and kings. And so we don't need prophets and priests and kings anymore. We have Jesus. Confessing Jesus the Christ. The anointed one. So that, first of all, is is the wonderful truth of our confession. Jesus is the central hope, our Lord and Savior. When we confess that truth, right along with it in the Catechism, it brings out the other biblical truth. It says there that we share in his anointing. That as we become members of Christ, we share in his anointing. That is is a wonderful (coughs) understanding of of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that moves into the sense of being Christians. We are Christians, followers of Christ, given that title by grace, but called to follow in Christ. That way, in our Savior's example, empowered by the Spirit, joining in the mission of Jesus, taking His will as our identity. So in that sense, if I were to ask you who you are, you might say, oh, I'm a farmer, or I'm a student, or I work here, or I live there. But the first priority would be to say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. That sense of who we are, first of all. This is the first title in front of our name. Christian. And Acts 1.26 records there that the disciples are first called Christians in Antioch. That name is, is given to them. Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So this is, this is a major place of influence and of ministry. Paul, uh, Barnabas is there initially. He speaks excellent Greek. And they are bringing the word to Greek-speaking people here. It says... Very specifically that they, they made that transition. They began to speak to Greeks in Antioch, verse 20. And Barnabas, when he goes there, is a Greek speaker. But Saul, who, who has been named Paul, is also a very fine Greek speaker and can bring the gospel to that context, explaining it in their own language. When I was in Ensenada a couple of weeks ago, there was that sense of the language barrier. And if you can speak the gospel in the language of the people, that is tremendously powerful. And so that's why it says in Acts 11 that Barnabas went and looked for, for Saul and brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught people. It says at the end there, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now I ask you, who, who called them Christians first? How, how did that go exactly? It just says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Well oh, that's nice. Who who called them Christians exactly? We have four options. In the in the culture of the day people were named, or groups were named after leaders. So Plato was a leader, a philosopher, a thinker, and those who followed in his teaching were called Platonists. So you could say the disciples too may have been called Christians in in a bit of a Greek context because they took Christ for their teacher, and so they could have then been Christians, followers of Christ. Jesus as a great teacher. That's a possibility. Some think they just took on the title themselves. That after a while they just felt, we are Christians, followers of Christ. That's possible too. Not, not tremendously likely, but possible. The third idea would be that the people of Antioch themselves saw what, what the disciples were doing and, and thought, man, they've, they've earned it. Boy, look at them. They're, they're doing Christ-like things. They're learning Christ-like things. We'll call them Christians. That's possible too. But the title Christian is not earned, though people work hard as Christians. The, the clearest sense out of the, the text and some of the early, um, early copies of the Greek New Testament, when the words of Acts 11, written out in the Greek, have the sense that Paul and Barnabas gave the believers this name. So when it talks about Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas were teaching them, meeting with the church, and then the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch, that Paul or Saul and Barnabas gave them that name. The the wording of of several of the earliest manuscripts are that, that Paul and Barnabas instructed them and gave them the name Christian. So it's, it's a sense of, of Paul and Barnabas. And what did they always... If, if you think about the letters of Saul, the letters of, of Paul, always the grace of God given to you. Saved by grace, not through words. And so the, the sense comes back here where in teaching them about what it meant to be a Christian, about how it meant to be a follower of Christ, the Anointed One, what a privilege it was to, to receive that title, and they gave that title to them. And that, that believers were asked to accept that title as a mark of privilege. Not that they'd so much earned it or, or taken it on themselves, but that again, it's a gift of God. That you are, that I am, that the people there We're Christians, followers of Christ, recognizing their lives as being lives of grace, the grace of God in them, followers of Christ by his grace and mercy. A title bestowed, not earned, but given, like grace is given, not earned. Just like faith is a gift. And that's what, what Paul always taught too. Faith is a gift. So as people come to faith, they are given a most prestigious title above everything else, Christians. And then they are called to live that out. Living out, living up to, in a way, that title. And so in the church itself, there is a a sense of living that out. In the various offices of the church, pastor, elder, deacon, The thought, too, is as as a pastor preaching, the prophetic office is there. Live that out. Elders have the kingly office. They are the ruling authority in the church. Deacons have the priestly office, showing mercy to those in need. And so the the truth of Christ, and as a Christian church, to have pastors, elders, deacons, is one way of, of the church showing, too. We are followers of Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. And then there's the application personally, living out, as the Catechism summarizes uh, the truth of the Bible, that we also share in the anointing of Christ and we live out that name Christian in our lives. How do we do that? First of all, Christians, we need to be prophets, confessing the name of Jesus. (coughs) If there's a situation where something about the Christian faith needs to be said, if you run into a circumstance during the week where you are thinking, boy, somebody really should say something here about Christian things, about godly things, you say it. Don't call me. Don't try somebody else. You say it. That's the prophetic office in you. You go ahead. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. And you can simply say, at home, with the family, with friends, to neighbors, at work, speak a word of Christ, of faith. In terms of the priestly office, Romans 12, says, in response to God's mercy, offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The sense of offering yourself as a sacrifice. That's the priestly office. So again, if there's a financial need, if some kind of financial concern comes up, you wonder, who could possibly give support here? Well, maybe you could make a financial sacrifice. Or if there's a time where, where time is needed, someone is needed to volunteer and help, who could perhaps sacrifice some of their time? Maybe you could. Consider it your priestly office. If you find yourself in a situation where something Christian should be done, you can tell, boy, if there was a Christian here, they could sure help out there. Well, you are Christian. <laughs> You can help out. And that can be as simple as helping with the dishes or cleaning up the garbage. Who would be willing to step forward and do a self-sacrificial, humble, godly thing? You could. And in that sense, you are that priestly office of Christ who humbled himself, who washed the disciples' feet, who served, coming as one who served. So that's the anointing in us, and a tremendous privilege. And finally, as king, we are called also to be that kingly presence. And that is in the sense of standing up for what is right. Standing against injustice in our society. Standing against gambling or abuse or materialism in the power of the Spirit. of Being self-controlled in a world that, that is out of control. And so that we just seek to stand against things that are not helpful. So we do not go where we should not go. We do not do what we should not do. We stand against things that are not of God, not of Christ. And why do we do that? Because we're Christians. Because we're Christians. That's why we do this. We recognize by God's grace we are set apart and filled with the Spirit, and seeking to live as the Lord Jesus calls us and equips us to live, going forward in His strength. What a responsibility. What a privilege. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your grace to us in Christ Jesus. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we see Your Word to us as we recognize your giving of yourself as our heavenly high priest, as we go forward in your strength, that we are not ashamed of what you have done, but that we recognize that you are our hope, our joy, and with thankfulness that we can live up our calling to be your humble servant. Lord, we thank you for opportunities that you give. We thank you for the many places where we do and can serve. Lord, continue to make us a witness to your love and grace and that we would bring you all honor and glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen.